Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 253 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for hanging out here for a little while. Today on the show, well, you know what? Before I get to it, you know, I'm 250 plus episodes deep in here, and I still make mistakes. Um, This episode is a great example of that simply because I didn't turn my microphone on. So my audio isn't as great as it usually is, you know, directly into the mic. It's picking up sort of this ambient computer sort of built-in mic sound. So my apologies there. I've, I've cleaned it up as best I can. Um, and it's not bad. It's just not the usual. It's still a great. But you're going to want to stick around for this because this is a fantastic conversation. Today on the show, my guest is Ryan Long. He's the creative services manager for the Haas F1 racing team. So uh, let me just explain this a little bit. So there's this show on Netflix called Drive to Survive. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should go check it out. Even if you're not a fan of F1 racing, and it's just a really well done documentary um, about F1 racing, about the F1 racing season. So I love this show and I try and watch as much F1 races as I can, which isn't a ton these days. But I I watch this show and I watch it like start to finish in like two or three days once it's finally released. And I love just the the energy that comes from sort of that that racing vibe, like the racing circuit and all of that kind of stuff. So I I reached out to a number of different creatives um, that might be involved with F1 because I was so interested in it and I wanted to just dive in and learn more. And I was able to reach out and connect with Ryan who looks after all the creative and design for the Haas F1 racing team. So everything from like driver uniforms to the des- like design and paint job of the car to the like the trailers and stuff that the, and the motorhomes that they take to the events to the you know inside their um, their pit lane and like like everything literally everything uh, building out and creating that. So not, during this episode, we of course talk about that, but we also get into sort of his background and how he originally started in architecture. He also shares with us how he started. He got a job for a, um, at a sign shop, and when that sign shop was going out of business, he was obviously forced to look elsewhere for a job, and how that landed him in motorsports design. He also shares with us how the design of that C4 Corvette, and if you're a car person, you know what I'm talking about, was really inspirational to him and started causing him to look at things in this different sort of creative way. He also shares with us the time in his career where you know IndyCar was poaching him from his current job, which was on a design team, and how that landed him as sort of this one-man design wrecking ball for the first time and the struggles that he faced with that. We definitely talk about the Haas F1 team and the creative and design behind that team and some of the advantages that Ryan and the team feel as being one of those smaller F1 teams, you know, not the giant Mercedes and McLarens and Red Bulls, you know, with ridiculous budgets, although the budgets, never mind, I won't get into that. But anyways a smaller, sort of faster, nimble uh, F1 team. Ryan also talks about the big event logo that he created and why he's so proud of it. That and so much more in this episode is such a great conversation. I know you're going to love it, so let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, Mr. Ryan Long. Here we go. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Ryan, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you, sir? Thanks. Good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you here, but before we get too far down this path here, Ryan, are you ready for a quickie? Uh, always. Yeah, I can see it. That's a convincing facial expression. <laughs> it's all good. Cool, man. Well, let's get this started by kicking it over to you and briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Okay, happy to. Uh, my name's Ryan Long. I'm I'm 41 years old, uh, originally from small town Indiana. Just a uh, young lad. Just a young, young 41. Uh so currently, I'm the creative services manager at Haas F1 team, which is a Formula One racing team currently uh, racing all over the globe. Um, I'm not formally trained as a graphic designer. Uh, my bachelor's degree is in architecture, so uh, had a little more interesting path to where I am than, than some people or a different path. Um, but I've been in motorsports creative for 15 plus years now. Uh, started out uh, in 2006 as a graphic designer at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, from there, I became art director, creative director at IndyCar, which is the series that runs the Indy 500. Um, and then five years ago, uh, moved the family eight hours south down here to North Carolina to uh, to join Haas F1 team for, for their debut season in F1. Uh, and now it's my sixth season with the team. Um, also, also a freelancer. I do some freelance work. I would say it's 95% motorsports focused. Um, the 5% that's not motorsports is usually, you know, wedding invites for a friend or something like a person. Classic. Most of the yeah, stuff I do. The band t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is always fun. Um, I do. So I do some freelance work for other series for PR agencies that are involved in motorsports. Um, mm. Done some motorsports book design, stuff like that. Um, married, two kids. Um, so shout out to my wife, Erin, who makes it all possible and, and, to my kids, Grant and Katie, who may be listening if I if I don't curse too much over the course of the <laughs> Okay, I will now tailor my cursing, to, <laughs> assuming that we're going to have some kiddos, kiddos listening on board here. All good, man. So um, the last thing I wanted to say is I, I, yeah. I was kind of preparing for this, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm generally terrified of public speaking, and I don't spend a lot of time talking about design just because of the way I'm kind of a one-man design team. So perfect podcast guest for you, so... Fantastic. Yeah, right where I want my guests. Just a yeah. little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, man. We'll make this real easy here. So the the motorsports thing. Yeah. Did you just stumble in that? Talk to me a minute about that transition from architecture to design. Yeah. So um, uh, I guess I always kind of wanted to be an architect from when I was 13, 14 years old. That's, that's kind of okay. what I into I was into drafting in school and really like that sort of precision and you know it, it just seemed like one of those like oh this is a perfect blend of art and science you know kind of things so um, that was kind of all I wanted to do and I kind of put all my eggs in that basket the only university I applied to was the architecture program at Ball State University which is where I ended up going it was just you know that was that was my focus that's all I wanted to do and um, Really good program, um, really good design education, I think I got in, in architecture. Um, it was a real demanding program, a lot of all-nighters, and, and it was busy. And, you know, and then it got into, like, doing internships and getting a taste of what it's like to actually work, 
you know, in the field, which is a lot different than obviously in school. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't enjoy it as much. And I kind of, I think there came a point where I realized like, you know, there's architecture, like somebody that designs a famous building and they do a sketch on the back of a napkin, this super sculptural thing. And that become, you know, but the reality of it is it's a lot of drawing bathrooms and stairwells, <laughs> you know, you're designing a warehouse or a factory, you know, there's a lot that's, that's not interesting about it. So at some point I, was like, you know, I'm enjoying putting together these like display boards for a project more than I am designing the project. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got out of school, I ended up, uh, you know, I was sort of pursuing jobs in architecture and sort of pursuing jobs in design, uh, floated around a little bit, worked at like a retail graphics firm, uh, worked in a, like a mom and pop sign shop for a while. And then, so I, I was kind of, I kind of chose the graphic design path and then I kind of stumbled into the motorsports thing. Uh, mm-hmm. the, mom and pop sign shop I was working at went out of business. And uh, one of the guys that I worked with there said, Hey, by the way, I just saw this ad that, you know, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is hiring graphic designers. One of those just right time, right place sort of things that who knows, you know, if that, if that place wouldn't have gone out of business, who knows where I'd be at right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you look back, it's one of those things that happened and really set the course and the trajectory of your career in that motorsports design space. Yep. Totally. Totally. Wow, such a such a it's a cool thing to look back and sort of reflect on those things and think, yeah. oh wow, like and then you could try to remember that for next time something goes wrong that hey, you know, <laughs> not always terrible. This could be leading me this on could a new be trajectory. Huge. This could be it. Got it. So I want to kick this back even further, Ryan. I want to hear a little bit about your childhood. What yes. was that like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you down this career path? You know, I I think as a as a young kid, I don't know if I was any more creative than anybody else. Um, like I said, I'm from small town, Indiana, literally one stoplight in this town. Um, and especially, you know, pre-internet, I mean, it's, it's pretty isolated. There's, you know, there's not a huge connection to sort of the, the bigger world and the, the, the world of design. Um, I was an only child and I was kind of like an early reader and a super curious kid. So I think my early days, it was about like I was just obsessed with reading and obsessed with learning and acquiring information. Um, and I, at a young age, that was more of a priority than creativity was for me. Um, but I also think like the more, you know, the more fields you have like knowledge in the better of a designer you're going to be. So maybe that mm-hmm. well, but um, I, I distinctly remember, and I was thinking about this cause I, I hear you ask other people this question. I distinctly remember sometime around like sixth grade, or grade six, as you Canadians might call it. Uh, <laughs> I noticed another kid's handwriting that was like, he was like really taking care of his handwriting and it was super neat. And my, my handwriting at the time was a disaster, you know? And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I can just do whatever I want. You know, I'm, I'm in control of my own aesthetic. I can just decide to write a different way. And that was like, I think like a turning point for me where I just, uh, you know, I just realized I, I can do this. It's my choice. It's not you don't just have handwriting, you decide what your handwriting is. And like, it's funny because now people compliment me on my handwriting all the time. Obviously I've got an architecture background and there's a certain level of like, you know, handwriting yeah. is very important in the field. So I think um, uh, it, it was just, a, that was kind of a turning point for me. And then I think uh, not too long after that in, in middle school, um, we had a, like a gifted and talented program, obviously for like English and math. Well, then they added one for art. And you had to submit a portfolio and there was like a, you know, process to like get in. And then you're in this art class that, you know, you get to go on the cool field trips 
to the cool art museums and, you know, we're going to do, you know, different media and just delving deeper, you know, into this whole, whole sort of art class thing. Um, and I think that's, that's where I started looking at art more seriously. Um, around that time, I think I got into comic books um, as an art form. Like, mm-hmm. I don't actually care about reading comic books, but I care about looking at comic books. And so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, the visual. So I was big into like trying to replicate that stuff. And that's, I think that's a lot of how my drawing skills started to emerge was, was trying to copy what I saw artists do in comic books. Um, shortly after that, but so internet explosion happens, you know, I was a, like an early adopter there, I guess. Um, so by the time I was 14, 15, I had a pirated copy of Photoshop, Nice. Um, which this is way, you know, this is mid nineties. This is it, you didn't just say, oh, yeah, that's Photoshopped back. You know, nobody knew what it was. No, nope. uh, sure. Unless, unless you're in the industry. So um, I think like back then we were just trying to find the most expensive and elaborate software to pirate, you know, just because like, <laughs> oh, just three thousand dollars. So, you know, uh, it was kind of just by luck that I fell into this. But once I got a copy of Photoshop, I fell in love with it. And I was just like realized how deep it was and, you know, how you could just dive into this stuff for hours and, you know, never learn it all. So super interesting to me. I think that that was, that was a huge step. I love that. And the sort of the key points and trajectory where things just started really clicking for you and pointing you in the direction. And I love that like sixth sixth grade is when you realize like I can have my own writing aesthetic. I I remember the room it was in, like I can tell you which classroom (laughs) it was in and who it was and you know, what his handwriting looked like because it was just, I don't know. It just clicked, I guess. Amazing. Amazing how that stands out in that yeah. moment. So on that topic of things standing out to you, Ryan, is there a particular sort of design or illustration or piece of art that stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Yeah. Something that you saw just stuck with you since? I've got a couple of things here. And um, again, heard you ask other people this question and it kind of bounced around in my head for a few days. And I don't think I ever thought of it this way until I was thinking about it for this particular question. But mm-hmm. uh, my uncle, when I was a kid, had a couple of C4 Corvettes. He had like an 88 and a 92 or something, right? Yeah. And, you know, when you're in small town Indiana, Corvette might as well be a Lamborghini, right? I mean, this is, yeah. you know, this, yeah, of course. But he was, uh, he's real fastidious with like keeping them clean, you know? So whenever I was there, he would help me or he would let me help him wash these cars and detail them. And there was something about that process of just being hands-on with all those little details, um, you know, and, and how the how the things change from one model year to another. And, you know, just I'd have sketchbooks full of, you know, Corvette logos and just studying door handles and buttons. I think, like, just being in a position where I was had an opportunity to kind of obsess over those details. Mm-hmm. And it sort of opened my eyes to the fact that like it takes all these little details to make up something cool. You know, it's a a thing like a car, which you say is cool is cool as a result of a million little things that all hang together as sort of one concept. And I kind of realized at that point, like there's whole teams of people out there that their job is to make this stuff look cool. You know? And I think that was a big, that was a big step for me. And I never thought about it until I started sort of thinking about this question, but I think, the, those cars were were really influential in making me realize what what design was and what you know what it meant to try to make something cool. Um, looking a little later in my life, I think uh, once I got to architecture school and I was uh, 
going on field studies. So uh, we spent a lot of time in Canada. We spent a lot of time just traveling around and, you know, visiting these famous buildings and stuff and, and setting foot in some like Frank Lloyd Wright buildings for the first time. Uh, Falling Water is the famous one, but Kentuck Knob is another one of his houses, which to me is just amazing. And it, you see the pictures in a book, right? But when you set foot in one of those spaces and, and you realize like how, uh, it's not just architecture is like, oh, that building looks cool, but it's sort of like experiential magic, you know, uh, when you're there and realizing that the way you decide to put, you know, building materials together, the way you put wood and stone and concrete together can make people feel certain emotions, um, you know, can give them this magical experience and change the way they feel and change the way that they live. Um, that was something I think like at that point, I'm in college, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. I, I knew that theoretically, but it's one of those things again, where it clicks when you're there and you're sort of feeling that, that emotion. So that was, that was a big deal for me. It's like it's kind of setting foot in these famous buildings for the first time. Yeah. And as an adult, you can almost feel it and appreciate it from a different, different perspective. Right. 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 Whereas if you're a five or six year old kid going into that space, right. you might go, Oh, this is cool. Yeah. And, cool. Then, and then you're around, but for, as an adult, you realize that places aren't magic. You realize the ones that are, are, you know, super special. Definitely. Completely agree. Um, Ryan, who are some of the designers and brands that you currently look up to and closely follow? And what about them do you like? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's kind of my lack of formal graphic design education, but I, I don't have this huge list of, of like famous designers that I look up to or, or follow really closely. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep an eye on stuff online. I, I love to see, you know, I follow a lot of sports creatives and I follow other racing teams and other, you know, uh, stick and ball sports teams, whatever. And I occasionally grab stuff and throw it in a, you know, inspiration folder on my phone in case I need ideas. But it, I think it's more pieces that I like than I do designers. Um, I don't know why that's just kind of the way it's shaken out. But um, I've noticed though, like uh, Aaron Draplin's name comes up on the podcast a lot and you've had him mm-hmm. on. And uh, I, I, I really like his approach, um, you know, just his attitude toward design. So I do, I do really like him. And back in, back in late 2015, I signed up for um, like a hands-on logo design workshop with, with Aaron Draplin. So I was super jazzed about, I never really, I don't really do things like that. So it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And uh, ended up then that I had to fly down here to North Carolina for a job interview the day that this workshop was. <laughs> so and, and I was trying to keep it a secret, obviously, because I had a job at the time. So I couldn't really tell anybody and I couldn't sell my ticket. So, uh, you know, the good news is I got the job. The bad news is I paid for a workshop that I didn't get to go to. So I hope I hope Aaron bought something really nice with my money, I guess. <laughs> hope you'd use it to help out some other kids. Yeah. Get them in the game. Perfect. Well, uh, Ryan, before I get into some of the tougher questions that we'll go through, I wanted to bring up your Instagram feed first, and then actually I'm going to hop over to your Behance feed as well. And I want to just pull up a couple of posts, ask you a couple of questions, and just sort of hear the story or what's going on behind the photo or behind the design. So let's do that. Let's pull this up here. Switch over. Okay, so the first one I'm going to... Uh, get into is this one here. 
okay. this post here. So we're looking at what looks like a couple of photographers and a videographer looking yeah. at what could be a driver kneeling beside a car. Tell me what's going on here. Yeah, so we are looking at, this is in um, in Bahrain uh, during preseason F1 testing. So I was in Bahrain for three weeks, uh, cool. early March to the end of March, I guess. Um, and so in this photo, you see, uh, Chris Cross, uh, who is from a company called Catalyst 317 that's based out of Indy, um, who I hired to do some video work for us. Um, and they did, they did great stuff. They're, they're motorsports guys. They're, they've been doing it a long time. Um, now on the right hand side is Sam Bloxham, who is a photographer for LAT, um, who we have contracted to shoot photos for us all season long. So both absolute pros, both, you know, world-class guys at what they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in the middle is Mick Schumacher, who is uh, one of the rookies that drives for our team this year. Uh, if the name sounds familiar, his dad is uh, seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher. So uh, pretty pretty famous name to have on your team. And uh, this is in front of our garage in Bahrain. The, we were sort of unveiling the car, unveiling the suits, unveiling you know everything. So this was uh, where it all went public, I guess. Very cool. So you actually get to do some travel with the team then? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, there's no way I could travel like some of these, you know, the, the mechanics and engineers that go to every single race. It's, mm -hmm. it's rough. I don't know how they do it, but I, I, I usually go to preseason testing this year. I went to preseason testing and the first race um, because that's where we have to. So F1 has rules about what kind of video you can use and you can't really use like race footage. So mm -hmm. we go preseason testing and we do a track rental and we do a production day, a filming day where we try to capture all the video content that we'll need for the whole year. Um, so that that sort of beginning of the season is, is big for me. It's sort of, you know, you're getting all the, the content that you need for the whole season. So I'm yeah. always there. And then occasionally, you know, I'll go to some other races one or two a year as things come up as I'm needed. Yeah, so you end up sort of in that collection phase of of pulling everything together that you're going to need for Trying the rest of the year. Not what your needs are going to be for the next, yeah, ten or twelve months. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> okay, this looks kind of funny. Yeah, so that's uh, I, you said you've watched the uh, Drive to Survive stuff, so yeah. you know Gunther. That's Gunther. Um, yeah. He's actually uh, he's outside right now. He's across the hall. So uh, he. Uh, for those that don't know, he's our team principal. He's kind of a fan favorite. Um, just, he's a funny guy. He's, he's just, he's just charismatic, entertaining sort of guy. So every year, you know, when it comes time for holidays and stuff, our social media guy will contact me and say, Oh, Hey, we need a, you know, we need a Halloween graphic this year. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I sit around and I think, what can I do? You know, I honestly combining like comedy with design is one of my favorite things. So absolutely. I absolutely you know, the project that bring me the most joy are doing something like this because it makes people laugh. So his last name is Steiner. So instead of the shining, it's the Steining. You take Jack Nicholson out, you put Gunther in and, uh, yeah, it was a lot. So. You know what? That, uh, that pirated version of Photoshop helped you pull that paid off. off. Right. I paid off. Now I can do things, like, you know, every time I do this, somebody will comment and be like, you know, this is it. This is the, this is the pinnacle of your career. You're never going to top this. So <laughs> I'm fine with, you know, it obviously this gonna, brings me more joy than anything else. Yeah, you're never going to top the shining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, let me just uh, switch over to the Behance here. We'll pull that up on the screen and we'll yeah. pick a couple off of there. All right, lots of motorsport stuff, obviously. Um, yeah. Ooh, where to go with this one? This is, this is standing out, so let's talk about this one here. Yeah, so this is a whole bunch of different car illustrations. So I, I don't know, I don't really consider myself an illustrator. If yeah. you ask, like, 
you know, to do a, an illustrative portrait of you, I would probably fail terribly at it, but I do so specialize <laughs> in these, you know, sort of side view car illustrations. And um, it started, I, I used to draw every single indie car every weekend. Um, mm. They would, there's actually another project on here, but they would, they would put out, they would print what's called a spotter guide, which is like, okay, every car. So you can look at a car and say, Oh, who is that? And it has a headshot and a driver name and information. So um, every Monday morning of an IndyCar race weekend, I would come in and like do all these car updates for sponsors that were changing and stuff like that. So kind of got quick at doing side view car illustrations. That's uh 1963 Indy 500 winner, Parnelli Jones right there. Um, I did some, some drawings of his car and he signed some for me, which was super cool. That's awesome. So what I love about this is looking at these images, this is what I saw in my head when I was trying to draw cars as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. They never, ever, ever looked good. You should have used Illustrator. I, I didn't even know what it was back then. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It's tough because if you're, it, it's the same way with like drawing a human face, right? If you're a little bit off, it's, it's obvious. Like yes. you can draw a TV and be a little bit off or you can draw, you know, a lot of things and, and get away with, but if your proportions are wrong on a car, it's just like, Oh, that just looks, you know, a lot of yeah. this for me. And I think this is where, you know, me having this sort of more technical background in architecture kind of pays off because I approach this in that way, which is like, everything has to be dimensionally accurate. You know, I, I take a lot of time getting the reference material and, and making stuff right, knowing that the proportions are right and, you know, everything is kind of dead on. And then it's easy if you get that right. You know, it's easy to throw yeah. on some, some logos if you've got a good foundation. And actually, now that I think about it, when I'm looking at these, this would be, uh, let me preface this though, not easier because it takes a lot of skill and talent to do these. But when where I struggled the most when I was drawing cars as a kid is the wheel wells. I couldn't figure out how to get the wheels and the wheel wells looking good. Yeah, because the radius like, match and the curves are off. Yeah, but this just kind of like covers up part of the body because it's all open wheel. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the trick, I guess. Can't draw a fender, then draw an open yeah, wheel. Yeah, but then you look at these ones and it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, yeah, these are good. I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, this is, this is the only thing I can illustrate. So. Got it. So let's go to. Hmm. So as a, as a print guy, uh, scroll down a little bit yeah. uh, right there, that admit one ticket. Right uh, to the left. Where am I? Where am I? Oh, right here. Sorry. Yeah. Red one. yeah. yeah. Uh, this is interesting. So it, it was a, um, a ticket for a championship celebration, IndyCar championship celebration. Oh, cool. This is all like, there's no ink on that. There's not a single drop of ink. So it's, it's white foil, it's red foil, it's embossing, it's die cutting, it's perforating. Like it's all finishing, all finishing stuff. operations and yeah, no actual ink. So I've always kind of enjoyed that. And I, it's like, it's maybe it's not like the coolest looking ticket in the world, but just the fact that, you know, I kind of challenged myself to like, Hey, let's just approach this in a different way and do it without ink and do it on black paper and do it all with foil. That um, was really fun. I love that. And I'm going to try and zoom in a bit here. And I love the way that this white and the red sort of register in here. Yeah. Like that's tough to pull off. Yeah. They're really good. So this was um, at, when I worked at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, literally down the road, like you could walk there if you have to, it was a shop called DE Ball. And um, that's what they did was finishing stuff. And they were, you know, they're the absolute, if you need, you know, with program covers and stuff like that, when we needed foil and spot spot gloss and embossing and debossing 
and just absolute masters at all that stuff. So I knew that, you know, they could pull off tiny type and, and like you said, two color logos with, you know, the word championship is in red foil and it has a white foil around it. And if, if that registration was out a fraction, fraction of an inch, it's awful. Terrible. So they're fantastic. Wow. That's a really cool piece. I'm glad you pointed that one out. That's a great one to finish on. Yeah. What a cool ticket. That's cool, man. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, you know, Ryan, I'm sorry, but it's time to get into the tough stuff, man. Well, I knew it was coming, so. <laughs> there you go. I did prepare you. Um, so a couple of questions here that take you through part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons. I want to pull those stories out of you and share okay. those with the listeners. Okay. So what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was yeah. it challenging and how did you get through it? I think um, for me, that so there was a time, so I, I worked at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and I ended up transitioning to IndyCar. And those are, um, they're like sister companies, basically. So they have the same ownership, um, but have different people running them. And it, I'm at the time, I'm working for IMS, um, but I'm doing mostly IndyCar stuff. So we had one single creative department um, doing both. And then IndyCar was kind of looking to poach me away um, and, and do creative in-house, so they had more control over it. Um, and it, but it was kind of like a weird, like cloak and dagger situation where they didn't want, they didn't talk to my boss about it at the time. And they're trying to like woo me and, you know, taking me out to lunch and, and don't tell your boss about this. And it's like, yeah, but we all work for the same company. Like, isn't there, mm-hmm. you know, it was just kind of a weird situation, but all that ended up working out. Um, but the, the tricky part after that was I, you know, I went from being part of a really strong team of designers uh, with a creative director to being a one-man show literally across the street in a different office. You know, I was doing some work that I had been doing before, but I wasn't part of a team anymore, and I didn't have a creative director to kind of insulate me from, you know, all the stuff that designers don't want to deal with. Um, it was a chance to get a better title. It was a chance to get more money, so I sort of had to do it. Um, but it was, mm-hmm. it was a tricky situation, making that move, um, putting myself in a less comfortable situation, um, our oldest child was born like right at that time, you know, I, I took like two days off when he was born. Cause I just started this new job and it was, I didn't, I didn't want to let anybody down. So it was, it was tough. It was tough at times. Um, but I think, you know, it taught me how to be a one man show, how to be a one man design team, a sort of, you know, self-sufficient in-house, you know, one man team. And that's something obviously it's served me well since uh, there, you know, I wouldn't have gotten this job if I, I don't think if I wouldn't have had experience. Yeah. So when, when Indy actually pulled you over, yeah, was there this sort of like bad blood between you know the two companies? No, so because we, you know, we all as designers, we all got along really well, and we continued. Mm-hmm. I was upset that I wasn't seeing them every day, but there wasn't like yeah. I don't think there was a lot of bitterness, or if there was, it was uh, they didn't let it show. So <laughs> if it was, you didn't see it, yeah, and you don't care, yeah. And it actually ended up a couple years later, new CEO comes in and says like, why are there two different design departments? Why don't we just combine these back together? So we ended up getting the band back together. You know, at the end of the day, we're all back together again, happy family again. So it all worked all back together again. Yeah. yeah, that makes more sense. But when you made that move, you, you went from having this team and other resources and support yep. to like, here you are in your office across the street by yep. yourself, figure it out. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something I still deal with to this day, which is like, if I'm, if I'm sick for a couple of days or if I'm, you know, 
a project, something has to be redone, you know, oh, something changed, we have to go back and redo this. Like if I lose a couple of days, there's nobody else to take up the slack and it's, you know, it's, it's tough. And it, it used to, it's nice when you're, when you're part of a team of designers and you can just say, Hey, can you help me out with this? Or, yeah. you know, can you bump this one thing down on your list and handle this thing for me? And mm-hmm. uh, obviously when you don't have that, it can, it can be tricky, but. Yeah. It's tough on the balance. Yeah. All right, Ryan, for this next one, I want to get a little bit more specific. Can you take us to a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result? What was that like? How did yeah. that feel? So here we go. I'm, I'm just trying to like do a complete cop-out on all these questions. Like you asked me Excellent. for my designer, and I'm like, I don't have one. And you asked me for a project that didn't go well, and I'm like, I don't have one. But Because, um, again, I've heard you ask this question, and this is the one that stumped me, honestly, uh, most of these questions I kind of knew like, Oh, I know what I'm going to talk about. But when it comes to like a project that didn't go well, I just, for days, I thought I'm drawing a blank. I don't know what to do. I mean, I've had, I've had things come back from print and you're like underwhelmed because you're like, Oh, this color is a little muddy mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I wish that I pushed harder against this client feedback to you know, get this one thing changed. But like nothing really stood out as being exceptionally disappointing or like, you know, as an end product, like being a, a failure. And I, so I thought for sure I was like blocking something out, you know, some terrible thing. Like, <laughs> just like blocking out of my mind, like a traumatic incident. So mm-hmm. next to my friend, uh, Brad Walters, who's longtime coworker from Indy and, you know, fantastic designer, somebody who I look up to. And I, I asked him, I was like, am I forgetting anything? Did we have any huge screw ups? You know, we work together on a lot of projects and he's like, I, he said, I, I, can't come up with anything either. And we're just like, well, I guess we most just, we're just consistently amazing. Right. I mean, we <laughs> consistently amazing. I love but it. In all honesty, that he, this kind of sparked a little conversation between he and I, and we're like, I think we came to the realization that our jobs are heavily dedicated to like solving a never ending stream of what he called. And I'm going to, I'm going to edit this because my kids might be listening, but micro F ups. Yeah. Every day you're getting bombarded with, a stream of these little emergencies, right? And our, our job as designers is to solve those before they become these full-scale disasters. And, I, you know, design is problem-solving. And a, a lot of times the problem is changing or, or getting more complex as you're trying to solve it. And you feel like, you know, you're spiraling because you're running out of time and things are getting more and more complex. But that's the whole, I mean, that's the challenge. That's what we're trying to do. So it, it, he and I kind of talked about how, you know, there's, there's days in the middle of the project where it absolutely feels like things are a disaster and at the end of the world. But at that point you haven't solved the problem yet. Yeah. It's okay that it's a, it hasn't been solved. So I guess it's, it's really common for me to be unhappy as part of the process, but it's a lot less common for me to be unhappy with the final product. And that's, I think why I, I really struggled to come up with something where I was super unhappy with the final product, because I can tell you a million stories about how, you know, I was pissed off and ready to quit a job because of the middle of a project. But when it comes to the end, everything usually works out. Yeah. In the end, the end result worked out. Okay. Yep. God, I like how you worded that though, that in the middle, you know, you, in the middle is where you kind of feel the defeat, but you've gone through to the end and yeah. you don't have any of those boardroom presentations or brand presentations that completely fell flat. Yep. Yep. It's the beginning of a project is when you have these lofty ideas and then the middle is all the, the assumptions have gone out the window and things have changed. And then, you know, it's rough. And then the end is where you've hopefully figured out a way to tie it all back together again. 
So th this might be a good time to sort of linger on this question just for a second here. Um, you know, when you're creating, you know, the new look for a car, the new look for, you know, pit uniforms and things yeah. like that, when you're creating that, do you, do you get worried that you're going to present this and they're just going to say, this is not our team. This does not look like our team. Have you ever had an instance where, like what kind of feedback are you yeah. getting in those? It's, it's tough. Um, you know, the good thing is we're, we're a good, or we're a small team. The good thing is we're a small team. Um, we don't have like these, cause I've been in those situations where you have to go into a boardroom to present um, this concept. And then you've got like 10 different people all wanting to put in their two cents. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, mm -hmm things are like, can get pretty dire, but we've got a small team. We've got, you know, uh, Gunther's the team principal. He's my direct boss. Um, Gene Haas is the owner of the team. Um, and then we've got sponsors to make happy, but it's, there's not this huge like boardroom full of people or this huge marketing department that has to like, okay, everything. So I've been really lucky in that I get a lot of, I get, I'm, I'm doing more to define what the team is than trying to live up to somebody else's idea of what the team is, right? Like the, the, the team's visual identity is kind of what I've made it for the most part. So super lucky there. And I try not to take that for granted because it's rare, I know. Cool. I, I like that. And I like that answer where you, you really define, you know, if you contrast that to something like, um, the, the best example I can think of is by assumption is Mercedes. Like I, I have to imagine that there is a larger decision-making process with that team. Yeah. Absolutely. Just based on the size and the name, you know, there's not that quick nimble flexibility. Right. That's the thing. There, there's pros and cons, you know, I'm, I'm, I would love to have, I'm sure their team of designers that I could just say, Hey guys, let's, you know, let's have you eight guys work on livery design concepts and these other six guys can work on team kit. That would be great. Um, and they, they obviously have the upper hand over us when it comes to that. But I think we do have the upper hand when it comes to being nimble, being able to make changes, being able to, to take risks and do, you know, yeah. more interesting stuff because it doesn't have to go through all these huge approval processes and stuff like that. Definitely. That's cool. I like that answer. Um, all right, Ryan, you got to come up with something for this next one. A real answer? <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? Um, yeah, in, in terms of my day job, I think it comes down to, again, um, workload and, and the amount of stuff that I have to do personally means it's tricky for me to to learn new things or to devote a lot of time. Like I would love to get back into 3D modeling, 3D rendering. Um, it's something that I did in architecture school because it was obvious, you know, that was kind of an emerging technology then. And it was something that was a really cool way to show what your building would look like. Um, and it's it's super useful in motorsports design. It's a, you know, it's a great way to, to do a photo realistic. Here's what the car is going to look like is, you know, super useful, but it's something that I struggle to find the time to fit in in terms of getting back up to speed and then the actual process of doing it and creating these renders. So we, we farm stuff like that out when it comes to, but that's more of like um, a product. Like mm -hmm. I designed the livery and then I'm paying somebody to come up with these renders to represent what the car looks like, but I, it would be more useful to me as a design tool, you know, in terms of, doing a bunch of different renders to, to test out what these cars could look like, but it's, you know, things are so busy in the off season that it's always been, been tricky for me to do that. So it's, that's always been a struggle for me. It's like, oh, I wish I could, you know, take the time to get back into this stuff or relearn how to do this stuff, but it's, it's tough. And then um, in terms of my freelance business, I think 
Um, so my business has kind of steadily been growing. Uh, started out as just something that is real sort of side hustle thing that's gotten a little more serious. So, but I do a lot of motorsports stuff. So the busy time for me at my day job is the same time as the busy time of year for my clients that that want work. So I get this sort of big rush of work leading up to the racing season, which is also when I'm really busy, you know, here at Haas. So I think the the thing I'm struggling with there, or not really struggling, but I know that I need to do it is to is to legitimize a bit more, like, you know, set up my company as an LLC or whatever, and and have the ability to subcontract work out to other designers. You know, that's the only way I'm going to be able to build my client base at this point is if I, you know, take it a little more seriously and, and I'm able to farm work out and sort of manage instead of trying to do all the work myself. So, mm-hmm. um, but that has, you know, a lot of promise, obviously that would be work well spent to try to, you know, grow that business. All right. We've got a real answer there, Ron. Yeah, I like there it. There you go. There you I go. Two, two real ones. So before I turn this bus around and, and ask you the, you know, the happy question here, um, what has stood out to you as the most interesting or unique thing that you have designed as part of an F1 team that you never saw yourself designing? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think in, in a lot of ways, I, I, I knew what to expect because I'd, I'd been involved in racing for so long that I knew things were different on the F1 side, but there hasn't been a whole lot that's been um, like, oh, I had no idea that I was going to get to design this. I think there have been cool surprises that, I mean, you know, being able to travel to the places that I've traveled to, um, that kind of stuff is more what's like, oh, wow. Um, you know, I've gone to Singapore, I've gone to Belgium, I've gone to Italy, I've gone to, you know, not not all the tracks on the schedule, but quite a few. And I think it's those experiences for me, um, you know, being able to travel to really cool places and and see really cool people that I only get to see a couple times a year and being part of like something globally really popular and really huge. That's that's the stuff that's more that makes me stand back and and be surprised more than like, you know, getting to design one thing or another, I guess. Yeah, I like that. And the other one that's sort of very related to, you know, the, where you are producing this design work in that in the team for the F1 team. Have you ever driven an F1 car? No, I'm not sure I would even fit in an F1 car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my next question is yeah. what is the closest you've ever been to driving in an F1 uh, car? Yeah, putting stickers on it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do have, so uh, like we do uh, pit stop practice on race weekends or during testing or whatever. So, um, and this is with the car not running. So um, three guys will push the car into the pit stop, into the pit box, um, yeah. but maybe that needs to steer it and hit the brakes. So they usually, some guys on the team get to do it. Um, they're usually guys that are more built like race car drivers and not built like me. So um, they'll, get a, they'll get a little guy on the team that can easily fit in. And uh, it's gotta be an amazing experience for those guys. Yeah, even just being in that position would be really interesting. I like, I mean, uh, in Bahrain, they have an excellent go-kart track at the circuit. Um, I mean, world-class, like we did it at night and it was, there's lighting and it looks, it looks like a tiny F1 track, just unbelievable. Um, but if you look at my results from that, you would say, I probably have no business being anywhere close to the real car. (laughs) Okay, Ryan. Um, I want you now to tell us about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. Yeah. Um, 
for me, this was a pretty easy answer. Um, it's, it's not necessarily about the project that I'm like happiest with the outcome visually, or it's just about doing something special or that was very personal and special to me. And, and so I guess through that, through that sort of lens, the most special projects for me are, I designed the event logo for the 2010 Indy 500. Um, I designed the race ticket for the same year and, um, for many years was part of the event programs there. And, and those things are special to me um, because, so I, I, I grew up watching the Indy 500. Um, I lived like an hour away from there and it was something, you know, as a kid, it's just larger than life. Like, you, you know, you know how it is when you're a kid, like you see these race car drivers on TV and they're not real people. They're like superheroes. And it's like, it wasn't, it just, everything about it was absolutely larger than life to me as a kid. So um, when I was a kid, the Indy 500, and it still is, is blacked out in central Indiana. Like you can't watch it there on TV because they're trying to get people to go to the race. So, but when I was a kid in the eighties, nineties, we had one of those giant satellite dishes, you know, the old school satellite dish. Mm -hmm. And so um, we had a way to watch it where nobody else in the area did. So, you know, all my dad's friends would come over and it was like this huge deal to watch the race every year. And um, so to end up working there and designing things like logos and tickets and because in, in that world, those things like live forever. Um, there's so many people that go to that race that have been going to that race for 40, 50, 60 years in a row. You know, they, <laughs> tickets and seats get passed down through generations of families. Like it's something that's like, you know, it's a big deal there. And so yeah. n- knowing that like, you know, people keep these ticket stubs forever and knowing that people have bookshelves in their houses that have every single event program for every year that they've been to the track. Um, that stuff to, you know, it's like the exact opposite of doing social media content, which is the most ephemeral, you know, you design it and somebody looks at it and it's a day later, it's gone. It's gone. And nobody ever see it again. This yeah. is the opposite of that and so something like doing stuff that's it's the power of print it's you know the power of holding something in your hand and it's it's stuff that lasts um you know it's tied to people's memories of you know remember this great finish this year or the crazy accident that happened this year or this is the last race that i went to with my dad before he died or you know this is the first race that my grandpa took me to like all that stuff is just so like special and and to be a part of that you know a to walk in on race day and see a logo that I designed like everywhere, you know, there's, there's hundreds of, you know, every ticket that you see somebody carrying or every credential around somebody's neck, like, you know, the stuff is in every little bit and and it, it's going back to like what I was talking about with the Corvette, you know, these, mm-hmm. all these little details is what it takes to make something special. And to, to get to the point where I was the one, you know, designing all these little details was, was something super cool. So it's, mm-hmm just special to be a part of the history of that event because that event is way bigger than me as, as a designer. It's way bigger than any one logo. It's, you know, it's huge. Like just to know that I played a little part in that is something that's super special to me and, and always will be. That's great. You're right. The longevity of that logo and all of its different forms and people with, you know, their collected tickets at home or their, their, you know, the guides from the day or the media guides from the day or, you know, whatever it is that they have around that are collector's items, you had a part in that. You created the, the logo and the, the visual for that, that people connected. Yeah, there's, it's hard to think of something else that, that I've done that like has that longevity or that sort of, you know, that's played such a special part in people's lives. So 
And I guess to some extent, like F1 liveries are the same way, you know, everybody can go back and say, oh, remember when this car this year or, you know, you get an old book or whatever. So it's always cool to think, you know, 50 years from now, you could you could see it in a book or see it on a documentary about, you know, that era of F1 when it's when, you know, when this when when right now becomes the good old days. So that's cool. I like that, man. Well, Ryan, you've reached the point of the show for the Ask It Forward question, my friend. This is where I have a question for my last guest for you, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. All right. So So my last guest was – and here's the interesting thing about about this last guest. So my last guest was Tim Chuang. Um, He's based out of Vancouver, British Columbia here. And in one of the things that we talked about in his episode was, you know, what is one of the things that you would love to like to design, just have on your resume and a logo like an F1 logo or something like that, all based around like the F1 motorsport. He talked about wanting to design one of those. So I thought it would be incredible. Like this just worked out so well to have you on right after him, um, you know, in regards to, just sort of his expressed interest. I think it's just an interesting thing. But his ask it forward question for you is, if you were to describe yourself as one food dish, one food dish, Ryan, what would it be and why? A food dish. That's, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's got to be bland, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like yeah, sort of room temperature oatmeal or um, and a, a tepid glass of water. Um, I don't know. That's uh, that's tricky. Um, uh, I'm I'm not super flashy or uh, spicy, so um, you know maybe I'm just a cheeseburger, like solid. You know, get in there, get the job done. Uh, it's not going to win a Michelin star, but it's if you're hungry, you eat a cheeseburger, you're going to be all right. Just a classic yeah. go-to. Classic go-to, solid you menu, and you're like, man, I just don't wrong. Yeah. Cheeseburger. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the safe choice. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Long, the safe, oh, choice. the safe choice. Yeah, <laughs> the burger of graphic design. I love it, Ryan. What is the question you would like me to ask the next guest for you? Yeah. So my uh, ask it forward question is: What are your best tips for getting a client to choose the design that you want them to choose? Hmm. So what are your best tips on guiding the client to the logo or design yeah. that you want? Them into picking the one you want, you know, what, how, however you want to word it. But okay. uh, I think there's, there's an art to that, you know, and um, mm-hmm. be interested to hear uh, some other people's strategies. I love it. Ryan, that is the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been great. I'm glad we could chat about this stuff. It was fun. I really appreciated it. All right, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're digging what you're hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening, and leave me a rating and a review. Love to read those. Appreciate your time and inputting that and putting that out there. So thanks, and we'll see you next week. Later.